0: Well, good morning, once again. Uh, as we open God's Word this morning, uh, you should know that we are continuing in our our Father learning adventure, uh, our, our our study through the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus taught during the Sermon on the Mount about how we ought to pray when we pray. In the life of faith, following after Jesus, it's assumed that we will pray, that we will actually engage our Creator. And we will go to our Father, that it's actually possible, and it's actually encouraged, expected, that we would get into conversation with our Maker, with our God, that desires to be known uh, to us as a Father, which we've been raised in the church, so we've heard uh, God the Father, uh, God is our Father, so many times that's not breathtaking, that's not remarkable, but that God, the Creator God of the universe, Yahweh, the God that, that, that uh, revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, that led Israel out of Egyptian captivity uh, by uh, cloud by day, fire by night, that split the Red Sea, that, that God wants to come close and be known as Dad. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I pray that we won't completely get over that. I mean, we should be pretty much uh, awestruck, maybe that's a good word for it, when we encounter this God who desires to be called Father. That Jesus himself would come to us and say, God wants to be Father. So anyway, this is week number six, I believe. Let's see. Let's see what my notes say. Oh, seven, actually. Week number seven of a 600-part series. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's more like 14-part. But anyway, feels like it sometimes. Uh, let's begin. Oh, today's message is called Hallow. Hallow. I'll explain more in a, mo- in a moment. Let's begin by reading... The Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Go ahead and stand as we hear God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. This is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the life spent following Jesus, many of us look to the great historic creeds of the faith, the creeds of the faith to capture and express the central tenets of the Christian faith, the basic theological beliefs which all who call themselves Christian believe. This is the point of those historical creeds, is to say this is what we do believe, all that other stuff is what we do not believe. It was important in the formation and the expansion of the church to come regularly together and say, we must clarify what it means to believe in Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. Because uh, at all times, perhaps, but especially now, there are people who call themselves Christians, but they don't really believe what Christians have historically and biblically believed, right? so there is a boundary there's a point beyond which you can't really say i'm believing christian things if they're not part of what's been believed historically in the church uh, or is informed biblically uh, for the church by scripture so the, the, the 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 creeds have been important to put a stake in the ground and say here is what christians believe this is what we believe. There're some things that are negotiable, there's some beliefs that are really non-negotiable. If you don't believe this, you don't believe the Christian narrative, uh, the Christian gospel. Uh, you might be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, uh, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and so on. You've heard the Apostles' Creed, but there's also the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Lots of creeds, lots of statements throughout church history that bring us back to that center, bring us back to the Scriptures and say this is what it." Uh, means to be a Christian. This is what we believe. Depending on your upbringing or your experience in the church, you may or may not be that familiar with one or more of these ancient Christian creeds. If you were raised in the high church, like Catholicism or uh, Anglican, uh, things like that, you probably said the creeds every Sunday. But some of you were raised in what's called the low church, uh, just kind of the... uh, you know, Baptist, Assembly of God, things like that. You may have never said the creeds together because it has that tricky part about Catholic Church, Holy Catholic Church in the end. So we're like, whoop, sounds Catholic, we're out. You know, I'm just saying. Um, Do a word study on it. It's not as scary as it sounds. P.S. Do that. All right. um, But anyway, you may not be familiar with the ancient Christian creeds, or you may be very familiar with the Christian creeds. But interestingly, here's what I've found. The more time I spend in the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the more I find that it reads like a creed of sorts. It reads like a statement of faith. As we read the, the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer, the opening lines, they read like a basic statement of deep faith in God think about what you're saying in that opening statement of the lord's prayer what's that first line our father in heaven we spent the previous weeks talking about this our father in heaven we're saying a lot we're saying a mouthful when we say our father in heaven first what are we saying we're saying our father our father this is claiming something huge and breathtaking both about god but also about us as the humans who follow after Jesus. We are in a family relationship with the creator of the universe. That's breathtaking. This tells us uh, of God's creative impulse, yes, but also of his paternalistic instinct. He desires to create, but he also desires to have children. To have you and me come close and be part of his family. So it tells us of his creative impulse, but also of his paternal instinct, of his desire to not just make an infinite universe, but also to make, to know, and to love a finite creature called mankind, called humans. Isn't this strange? That the vastness of the universe, yet the specificity of you, it's all part of God's desire, all of his creative imagination. All of his creative impulse. It, create, it includes Pluto and you. That's amazing to me. This contrast is really stunning if you think about it. The maker of the distant starlight is also the maker of the candlelight in that Bethlehem stable. Maybe that draws an appropriate line between the two. The creator of the distant starlight is also the creator of the candlelight in that Bethlehem stable. G.K. Chesterton muses about this very fact. He says, The wise man will follow the star, low and large and fierce in the heavens. But the nearer he comes to it, the smaller and smaller it will grow, till he finds it in the humble lantern over some little inn or stable. Not till we know the high things shall we know how lowly we are. This is our God, our Father. Second, Jesus' prayer locates God in heaven, in heaven, by, uh, which by extension then locates us not in heaven. Okay, our Father in heaven means that we are on earth, not in heaven, we are separated uh, in distinctly different locations from there where God most fully is revealed and most fully present at all times, the throne room of God in heaven. This locating of God and of us, it illustrates and draws into relief and to contrast the sad tragedy of the, uh, of the fall, of sin. The power of sin has come to divide and to separate and dislocate us from God so we must acknowledge he is our God our father but he's in heaven and we're not we're not but here's the thing this 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 distinction of place it's not just to highlight our depravity or our loss or our desperate situation trust me in this this distinction it serves to orient our longings to inspire our hopes, which are addressed then in the second part of the Lord's Prayer that we read in verses 11 through 13. Here's the deal, and hold on to this. Because God is set apart, because He is holy, because He is not affected by the fall, He then is able to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. He is able to deliver us, to save us, and to heal us. He stands outside the mess we've made through our rebellion and our disobedience so He can come and rescue, redeem, and heal. That's good news. Now, in the Old Testament, the place where God met with His people uh, on Mount Sinai, uh, in the tabernacle, or later in the temple, it was a hallowed and holy place. It was hallowed and holy and thus separate. It was a separate place. But it was also that place which, uh, in which the most important things happened. The most important things have all happened in this meeting place between heaven and earth, between God and man. This is where the prayers were offered, where guidance was given, where sacrifices were made, and where heaven and earth joined. Where the space between became so thin that they joined together. Since the beginning, God's ambition has been to dwell with His people. We see this throughout all of Scripture. God's desire, His ambition has been to dwell with His people, to bring His place and our place together. And remarkably, He He always finds a way to make this happen. Even though the the fall was great and it caused huge um, separation, In a huge sense of loss and exile and wandering, God has been coming into our space to bring us back to himself, to bring his place and our place together, all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, N.T. Wright clarifies. He says, God is not a man-made idol. He is the living God who dwells in heaven and longs to see his sovereign and saving rule come to birth on earth. This is, in fact, a prayer for the kingdom of God to become fully present. Not for God's people to be snatched away from earth to heaven, but for the glory and beauty of heaven to be turned into an earthly reality as well. When that is done, God's name His character, His reputation, and His very presence, God's name will be held in high honor everywhere. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is thus all about this God. The God that desires and will bring heaven and earth together one day. So, our Father in heaven. Now this brings us to the third theologically rich statement of the Lord's Prayer. At the end of verse 9, May your name be kept holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, what does this mean? Here we are guided to affirm that God is holy and to keep his name hallowed. Now, as silly as it may seem, perhaps it's good for us to stop here and define our terms. Okay, sometimes uh, you've been in a conversation where someone keeps using a word and you're like either saying, I don't know what that word means or I don't think they know what that word means. That happens to me a lot. It's like that word you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means. What do these terms mean? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be hallowed? We say and we sing the word holy a lot, all the time in church, but what do we mean? Well, holy is defined as having a pure quality. Holy means having a pure quality, uh, being entitled to worship, and being venerated as sacred. If a thing is holy, it is worthy of our worship and of veneration and of being uh, uh, held as sacred. Eugene Peterson takes it further. He says, holy is the word that sets God apart and above our attempts to enlist him in our wish fulfillment, fantasies, or our utopian schemes for making our mark on the world. Holy means that God is alive on God's terms, alive in a way that exceeds our experience and imagination. Holy refers to life burning with an intense purity that transforms everything it touches into itself. Because the core of all living is God and God is a holy God, he requires much teaching or we require much teaching and long training for living in response to God as he is and not as we want him to be. The universe exists on God's terms. His holiness informs and directs everything. So our engagement with God, the long training, the much teaching, is incumbent upon us to conform ourselves to Him in order to be transformed. Now, that's holy. Having pure quality, entitled to worship, veneration, and sacred. Now, hallowed. What about that word? Hallowed. What should we make of this old Harry Potterish sounding word? Hallowed. Hallow. Hallow means to make holy. To make holy or to sanctify, to consecrate, to honor as holy, sacred, or to venerate. Hallowed means to be made holy. So depending on the Bible translation you're using, we find that God our Father in heaven, we find that He's in heaven and that His name uh, is to be kept holy or His name is to be hallowed. Some of you are maybe even memorized, uh, hallowed be thy name, right? And we never stopped to say, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to, for something to be hallowed? So first, we must recognize that God is holy and his name is an expression of that holiness. Okay? So God is holy and his name is an expression of that holiness. We do not make God holy, We do not grant holiness to God in any way. We do not contribute to His holiness. Ours is is only to respond. Ours is to respond to His His eternally existent holiness, orient our faith, uh, and even more than that, orient our life to honor Him in our worship, in how we live, obey, serve, and pray. We shape our whole being around Him and His holiness. Much of what we are called to do and to be about in this Christian life is making God's name holy in our place, throughout the earth, honoring God and His will everywhere we go. We go out into the world, hallowing it in God's name. We do this through our words and our actions. We do this through our our priorities and our pursuits, through our sacrifices and our serving, through our hearts and through our hands. By living faithfully and loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, by loving our actual neighbors as ourselves, you are daily making God's name holy in all the world. Have you understood this? Why it's so important to live faithfully Because as we go out into the world, it's like we're hallowing all those places we go. Your obedience is making God's name holy in your workplace, in your home, at the coffee shop. Whenever you're going for a walk with a friend, you have opportunity to hallow that place for God and His glory. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We go out hallowing the world. So whether you're raking a neighbor's leaves, sponsoring that kid in Guatemala buying shoes for a kid in poverty, giving $5 to a guy that's homeless, praying with your mother-in-law, defending the unborn, working for racial reconciliation, serving kids and families in foster care, supporting teen mothers, sharing the gospel, serving on mission, making time to be present with the lonely or isolated, being intentional about peacemaking, Uh, how about living conspicuously in how you spend your money, Choosing wisely about what you buy and what you do without. Uh, How you go about fighting injustice, standing against economic exploitation, against slavery, and ecological ruin. Every aspect of life, we have opportunity to hallow that space. To go in the name of Jesus Christ and to make God's name more holy in that place. As we hallow Wherever we go, it, it reminds me of that startling final judgment scene in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is just getting down to business, bringing long-awaited justice and separating the sheep's the sheep. <laughs> Sorry, that's you don't make that plural. <laughs> that word you keep using. <laughs> anyway, you may, you know that story though, where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Anyone else troubled by this passage? Because there's no mention about like, well, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Go to heaven. You know, you went to church, you tithed, you wore a suit. None of that seemed to matter. When Jesus really gets down to business of bringing the long-awaited justice, Uh, look at Matthew chapter 25. Let's start in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes, and this is in red, so it means Jesus said it. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will, t- will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you and he answered, he will answer I tell you the truth when you refused to help the least of these my brothers and sisters you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life see what I mean this is rough that's a harsh passage both people were caught off guard like wait what I thought I was doing it right. Jesus makes it clear, though, how we live our lives, have a, it has eternal implications. How you spend your days, how you interact with others, how you spend yourself in service to others makes a difference eternally. And it's not just about going to heaven or hell when we die, okay? We miss the point if it's just about you behaving now so you can go to heaven later. That's not the point. It's not just about us going to heaven or hell when we die. It's about knowing and not knowing God. It's about knowing and not knowing God. It's about keeping and not keeping His name holy in all the earth. Do you see the distinction here? Were you keeping God's name holy in the world? Were you hallowing all those places in which you were sent By feeding the hungry, by giving water to the thirsty, by welcoming strangers, by clothing the naked, by caring for the sick, by visiting the prisoners, we are hallowing God's name in all the earth in a very real, very meaningful, and very substantial way. This Matthew 25 passage has always haunted me. It's always haunted me. Why? Because the goats in this story, they aren't bad people. It'd be easier if he's like, okay, and those on his left were a part of Al-Qaeda. You know, it's like, they they weren't the murderers. They weren't Al-Qaeda. They weren't devil worshipers, you know? They were kind of normal people. They were people just like us. They were simply going about their lives, but they just weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention to that stuff that really, ultimately, mattered most. Do you see how dangerous of a trap that is? I don't think many of you here, I don't think most of you here are at risk of joining Al-Qaeda. I, I, I will probably never hear through text or phone or on the news that any of you joined Al-Qaeda. But at the end of time, there is the risk that some of us will, will see each other and find out that we just weren't paying attention. That we just weren't paying attention to the opportunity set before us to go into the world and to hallow it for God's glory, to make His name holy in, all the earth, in the world. We can get too busy. We can become too self-absorbed to care for other people. And God notices because God shows up in those people. The thirsty, the hungry, the sick, the naked, the homeless, the imprisoned. Every day Christ comes to us in his distressing disguise. And what we do with him makes all the difference. We fail to hallow God's name when we don't care for others. When we don't take onto to ourselves the, the awareness that Christ says, you go out in my name and you make this place holy by how you live. If we fail to hallow God's name during the days that we've been given, we will become strangers to Jesus. This is heavy, man. That we can sit in church week in and week out, live our whole lives considering ourselves a Christian, but in the end have Jesus look at us and say, I don't know you. I don't recognize you. You didn't really live like a person who follows after me would live. So depart from me. I caramba, that's, that's bad news. That Jesus, the one whose name we claim, would look at us and say, I don't recognize you at all. You have no family resemblance. In the end, those who are strangers to Jesus, they slip terribly away. They slip away terribly into a nameless, eternal, tortured anonymity apart from their Creator, who is our Father. They slip away into an eternity devoid of of the image of God, devoid of their own humanity, devoid of God's holy presence. This, my friends is what hell is like being apart from god no longer having his image no longer being human being lost forever yeah throwing flames and worms all whatever it's bad enough to know that you will be separated slipping into an eternity a nameless tortured eternity apart from god i don't preach about hell very much but it's hot enough in here today that it really worked out well This is a grim scenario. This is a grim scenario. Uh, And this is what hell is like. For those who are unfaithful to Jesus Christ's command, this is what eternity holds. But the point of the gospel, hear me say this, the point of the gospel is not about punishment. It's not about punishment. John 3.16, what's it say? For God loved the world so much, that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have life eternal. They would not slip into this nameless, tortured anonymity for eternity. But they would know God, and they would be brought into new and abundant life. What Jesus came to tell us and accomplish for us, to make available to us. It's about invitation, invitation to dwell with God and to live rightly in relationship with Him. That's at the heart of the gospel. Ours, then, is to join with Jesus in hallowing His Father's name, to join with Jesus in celebrating God's holiness in all the world so that we can know God and be with Him forever and then to see His kingdom and His will done here on earth. His kingdom come, His will be done, now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness. Thank you that it has gravity, what you've accomplished, what you've came to, to, to overcome on our behalf. God, may we be attentive. May we listen to your words. May we orient our life around what God has called us to do, who He's called us to be. Because God, I don't want to be unrecognizable when I stand before Christ when He sits upon His judgment seat. I want to be recognized. I want to bear that family resemblance that Jesus would look at me and say, You cared. You cared for people. You you took care of needs. You blessed. Wherever you went, you carried God's name with you. And those places were a little bit more holy because you were faithful. So our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy in our time, in our place, among these people, in our networks of friends and and family, of, of our work associates, of our schoolmates. May your name be kept holy wherever we go. Hallowed be your name wherever I go this week. Lord, may we sit with this. May we hear it clearly. May we know that Jesus intentionally came from the distant heavens to be with us in our own little Bethlehem, to sit with us by our own little candlelight, to make you known and to help us understand what it means to live faithfully for you. And the great dignity we bear as we go out into the world bearing your name, being part of your family, Wherever we go, there you go with us. So may you be honored by that. Lord, I pray for my friends here today. I don't know how this hits with them. I don't know where this lands in their hearts. But God, I pray that we would take this seriously, that maybe we'd feel that appropriate conviction that says, God, wake me up. I've become so self-absorbed. I've started believing things that uh, don't honor you. Lord, correct me. Refine me. Purify me and save me. Lord, I pray for my friends, whether they've been considering themselves Christians before or not, or whether they've uh, been uh, never following Jesus, I pray that today would be a time of honesty and of reckoning. God, you take us very seriously. You sent Jesus because you take this situation very seriously. So God, may we step into it. May we appropriate what you've accomplished for us through your life, your death, and your resurrection so that we would uh, come to faith, be saved, but then understand that we are sent out into the world to make you known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to share communion together, and it's been a while. feels like it's been a while. But what's this a picture of? What does it mean for us to come and to to take a, a bit of bread and some some uh, some juice, some grape juice? What does it mean? Is that we are remembering, in the church this is called the table of remembrance. We are remembering what Christ has accomplished for us, what He has done for us through His body that was broken and His blood that was shed for us. Why? So that we could be reconciled to God. So that the punishment for our sin could be paid. That our rebellion and disobedience could be atoned for. So that we could rightly come back to God. That when God looks at us, he sees that justice has been served. Your your, your sins, yes, they must be punished. But for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, those sins, your sins, past, present, and future, they've already been punished. They were put upon Christ on the cross. So now when you stand before Christ, you will have your sins forgiven because Christ will stand before you as your advocate and say, Father, these sins have been paid for. My blood was shed for their blood guilt. And now it would be unjust of you, Father, to punish them again see the blood that was shed see the body that was broken for them now may they enter into eternal life forgiven set free and healed if you followed after jesus this is for you this is us coming together to remember the body that was broken the blood that was shed as we partake together so it's appropriate that we spend a moment in reflection in preparation sit in the light of christ and say search me and know me God, is there any wicked way in me? Then lead me in the path of repentance. So take a few moments to prepare, introspect. When you are ready, I'm going to invite you to come down here, take the elements, and return to your seats down the outside aisles. Once everyone has been served, we will partake together. So no rush, but come when you're ready.